Hello, and welcome to Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. The 3rd of December is the International Day of People with Disability. This week's edition of Stick Together will look at the National Disability Insurance Scheme, what it means to workers and for those that they support. We'll also hear about the Health and Community Service Union's campaign against the privatisation of disability services in Victoria. But first, some union news. In a huge win for all Victorian workers, the state government has reversed an earlier decision and finally agreed to gazette Christmas Day as a public holiday, bringing it into line with all other Australian states. With Christmas falling on a Sunday this year, it was originally decided by Minister Philip Daladakis to only provide the Monday and Tuesday replacement days as public holidays. This would have meant that the workers who worked on Christmas Day would not have been paid public holiday penalty rates for sacrificing time off with their family over the holiday. Significant pressure was brought to bear on Daladakis by unions, leading him to concede that he had made the wrong call and reversing his earlier decision. Those working over the holiday period should check their pay slips with public holiday penalty rates applying right across the country on December 25, 26 and 27. The Australian Greens introduced a new bill into the federal parliament to address concerns about ever-increasing revelations that workers are being underpaid against the minimum standards contained in modern awards. The Pay Protection Bill will seek to amend the Fair Work Act to ensure that workers will be guaranteed to be paid at least the minimum conditions in the award, regardless of what is contained in their enterprise agreements. This would include casual loading and weekend and shift penalties. A recent report revealed that big business is pocketing hundreds of millions of dollars each year by applying terms and conditions that fail to meet the minimum standards set out in awards. After passing the government's registered organisations bill in a marathon sitting of the Senate last week, the government is now pushing even harder to have a bill to reintroduce the ABCC passed before the end of the year. The Nick Xenophon team and Darren Hinch cut a last-minute deal to pass the registered organisations bill, forcing onerous new administrative requirements on unions and setting up a new tribunal, handpicked by the government, to police all unions. The government's other piece of anti-union legislation, the Australian Building and Construction Commission bill, seeks to reintroduce a draconian star chamber for construction workers, stripping them of their civil rights. It would also further the limit the scope of matters that can be negotiated by unions and undercut pre-existing standards in the construction industry. In return for voting for the Registered Organisations Bill, Xenophon and Hinch claim to have secured a promise from the government for better whistleblower protections. Now, Xenophon is threatening to block a vote on the ABCC bill until the government resolves a deal relating to the Murray-Darling system. This again shows the willingness of the expanded crossbench to use workers' rights as a bargaining chip for their own political agenda. AMWU members at the McCain's plant in Ballarat, Victoria, have claimed victory after a seven-month struggle against the food giant. The new agreement provides improved conditions for workers, including better annual leave provisions and a fairer rostering system. The dispute was hard fought, with the company attempting to break the union by flying in scab workers from New Zealand and Tasmania to combat three months of rolling stop work actions. The new agreement also leads to longer-term job security for the workers, with a new 15-year rejuvenation program of the plant scheduled to start immediately. Union members at Qantas are celebrating a groundbreaking new enterprise agreement after it was resoundingly endorsed by 93% of its staff nationwide. The Australian Services Union reports that the new deal includes large sign-on bonuses and a number of new entitlements. These entitlements include protections against the outsourcing of work, better part-time conversion and 12 weeks of paid parental leave and an additional two weeks of paid parental leave that can be either taken or put into superannuation. In an industry first, it also includes 10 paid days of family violence leave, allowing those experiencing family violence to have paid time off for medical appointments, court appearances and other necessary time away from work, all without having to use their annual leave or personal leave. The deal represents a great win for workers at Qantas and takes big steps towards gender equality in that workplace. 
In international news, 74 workers have been killed after bamboo scaffolding collapsed during construction works at a power plant in eastern China. The company overseeing the works had in September this year launched a campaign called Work Harder Together for 100 Days, urging workers at the station to speed up construction. There has been a spike in workplace deaths in China, with many blaming the increase on widespread disregard for safety regulations in an effort to save money and speed up works. Chinese media reports that 13 people have been detained in relation to the collapse. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. The NDIS has been widely hailed as a great leap forward for people with disabilities, offering them a new way to receive support with greater choice and control. It represents a paradigm shift in how the funding is directed to and used by people with disabilities. This change shatters the business model of many service providers who are reliant on the economies of scale and administrative efficiencies provided by the block funding system. The changes mean that the workers in the disability sector are facing significant disruption to their jobs and uncertainty about what the future holds as the scheme rolls out. Compounding these issues is the decision of the National Disability Insurance Agency, which is the statutory body overseeing the NDIS, to cap the price of personal support at levels both workers and service providers have deemed unviable. The result is that disability support workers, who are already amongst Australia's lowest paid, are facing further downward pressure on wages and an erosion of conditions. A further rise in insecure work is another concern as providers attempt to adapt to the NDIS model. Unions claim that these changes are making it much harder for the sector to attract and retain skilled workers, just at precisely the time the need for such workers is rapidly expanding. With me now is Leon Wigard, branch coordinator of the Australian Services Union, Authorities and Services branch in Victoria, Tasmania, and by phone, George Alley, who has first-hand experience with the NDIS as a worker in one of the launch regions. Thank you to both of you for joining us on Stick Together. Start quickly by asking you, Leon, what workers the ASU represents um, who have an interest in the NDIS? So when it comes to the NDIS space, we cover uh, workers who, who work in the mental health area. The ASU and other unions have come out in support of the NDIS, but have been on the record as having some concerns about its implementation. Can you give us a bit more of an idea about that? Sure. Look, I think um, for, for thousands and thousands of Australians, um, the NDIS is going to mean that they're going to get services that they ne- never got before. So um, I think that that's a good thing, uh, and, and we've said that um, quite openly. The concerns that we have really <coughs> relate to some of the structural um, issues as we see them. Um, not surprisingly, um, in this space, a lot of it comes down to funding. Um, I think if you look at the the rates um, that are being provided for the services, they're just too low and they're not sustainable. Now, whilst the NDIS uh, or the NDIA would say that the rates um, that they pay allow them to pay award rates and, and award conditions, we just can't see how that can be the case. And I think um, uh, the, the anecdotal evidence that's coming up through a lot of the launch sites now is that agencies have had to use other block funding money to prop up some of those services around the individualised packages. Um, so I think if, um, if, if clients of the NDIS are going to have choice and control, which again I think is a good thing, um, then what, what we ask is that the choice and control be real choice and control and they get the choice of, of, of really good quality services, uh, not just the sort of race to the bottom low-end services that we're worried about that might come into this sector if, if the funding model isn't um, looked at very, um, very soon. So... Uh, one of the concerns that's been raised quite frequently is that the introduction of the NDIS will 
lead to increases in casualisation or sham contracting in the mental health uh, and the disability support sector. If increased casualisation and insecure forms of employment were to become the norm in this sector, what does that mean for quality of care for service, service users? And look, and it, it is becoming the norm um, because people, um, clients of the NDIS are able to choose when and how they want those services delivered, which is great for them. The implications, though, and especially around the award, is that um, you, you know, you're forced to employing a casual workforce because organisations can't guarantee a, you know, an amount of hours of, of work. So you know, your work may be you know, 40 hours one week and it might be five hours the following week. And, you know, what we're finding is people are now working as casual staff, but they're working across a number of agencies. Mm. And so it's very much, you know, the, the um, I suppose the responsibility is placed on workers to equip themselves with all of the skills necessary to be able to deliver those services, you know, um, and in a casual workforce, those people aren't going to have access to supervision. Yeah. training or, or support, it's a very base level service that they'll be able to deliver. The union's concerned that there might be a flight of labour away from this sector to other caring sectors in the um, in the economy. A, a flight of quality trained labour. And now there there might be people willing to do do the work, um, but our concern is that if we remunerate those positions um, at too low a level, we're not going to be seeing the sort of quality workers coming into the sector who need to provide the services that the NDIS are. Are touting because I think that they've made a very big deal of this. They've really said this is going to be a, a life changer for thousands of people and we really hope it is. Um, but our very strong view is that that's only going to be the case if there are workers who are <clears throat> properly trained and who are properly skilled and who can stay in the sector for long enough because they can afford to stay in it uh, to be able to provide those services. Do you share that concern, George? Absolutely. Uh, that's what we're seeing in our workforce that, you know, organisations will be forced to let go of people who have been working with them for many years who have great expertise in the services that we provide but won't be able to do that. You know, we're going from large providers to potentially thousands and thousands of thousands of individual providers. Now, our fear is that what's going to happen is that there's going to be individual providers out there who are going to undercut the award wages and agree to work for um, for less than the award rates, um, putting increasing pressure on the employers who are trying to do the right thing, and it's going to drive potentially drive clients towards those people who will be um, prepared to offer services at night without having to charge the extra rate. So that that would be the concern that we would have. What can the government do to make sure the NDIS lives up to its its promise? Well, I think you've got in this area you've got two two levels of government. You've got the federal government who obviously um, administer the NDIS through the NDIA uh, and I think absolutely urgently addressing the funding issues and putting in a rigorous framework around quality control and accreditation 
and minimum standards, I think, is a, a really vital um, piece of this as, as it continues to roll out. I mean, it's only rolled out now in the Barwon region and the northeast um, Melbourne region, but the timetable is rapidly approaching in a number of other areas. So what we'd hate to see is those problems that we're experiencing in, in the two launch sites now just being rolled out into other areas as well. I think as far as the state government is concerned, I think they need to um, look at addressing where the funding is going to come from for some of those things that are not um, picked up by the NDA. I mean, the NDIS is an insurance scheme, so you only get funding for that if you are insurable, if you like. George, Leon, thanks very much for coming in to join us on Stick Together today. Thank you very much. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. In the lead-up to the 2014 Victorian state election, the Health and Community Services Union were campaigning hard against the then-Napthine government who were taking steps to privatise disability services. The then Labor opposition made several promises that they would not further privatise these services and the party's platform taken to the 2014 election states that the party will, quote, avoid further privatisation or contracting out of existing disability services, end quote. Despite this, hacks who have been locked in a bitter dispute with the Andrews government when late in 2015 plans were announced to privatise disability services in the state. Unions, service users and their families rallied outside the recent state conference of the Victorian ALP. I'm here at Mooney Valley where scores of ALP conference delegates are now leaving the conference to come down and join Haksu's rally against the privatisation of disability services. Looking around there's about 200 people with union flags, many of them in orange t-shirts all chanting disability not for sale in opposition to Daniel Andrews' government's moves to privatise disability services in Victoria. quality NDIS 
without a robust and high quality public sector that provides services for vulnerable people. It is an absolute nonsense and we have seen time and time again where the privatisation agenda has led to poor outcomes for Victorians. Look at the TAFE sector. Look at all of the utilities that are now in private hands. We've not seen better outcomes for Victorians through those failed policies. Why is it now that the Andrews government believes that this is a good thing to do? It is a misguided move and it's one that needs to change. And we need to lead that change. We need to lead for a quality NDIS, not a low-priced, low-value, let-the-market-rip uh, NDIS that will reduce quality care for Victorians with a disability. And when the government makes a mistake, we will call it out. Yes. And they have made a mistake. They are wrong. They need to turn back on this policy because it is not in the interest of Victorians with a disability. It is not in the interest of the NDIS. It will not achieve good outcomes. Our campaign is about stopping privatisation. So today we'll be very interested to hear what Daniel Andrews has to say when he speaks at conference. And we hope that what he does say takes us some way to resolving this. Our door is open, it has always been open, but we will not support privatisation of these services. We want high quality services, we want a robust public sector to pick up vulnerable and at-risk people, and we want a balanced service system. We want what was promised in 2014. We want what's in this platform and we do not want privatisation. Margaret Ruff is the parent of a child in disability support services. She spoke at the rally and I caught up with her shortly after. Can you tell us a little bit about the service that your son receives? I think I need to start with the fact that my son has a profound disability. He's in a wheelchair, he has hemiplegia, um, intellectual disability and um, non-verbal. And what kind of service is he receiving from the government? At the moment he's in a community house, a DHHS house, that's about to be privatised. And what are your fears for your son if his services are privatised? Okay, I come from the corporate sector, so I understand about bottom line and how they're going to make money out of it. So the idea is that the government want to sell it off because they don't want to spend the money, you know. They're going to come up with all sorts of philosophical reasons, but that's what it's about. So privatisation means that my ha the people who take it over will have to make a profit out of it. They're looking at reducing the wages for the staff. So the staff that actually are qualified and experienced in no people with disabilities, how to work with them, they'll go and we'll get people when you've got no idea what the hell they're doing. But then the other concern I have is my son's non-verbal and a lot of people uh, with a profound disability are non-verbal. And the issue there is if they save money by feeding him three minute noodles five, uh, three times a day, how the hell will we know? So it's just no security in the care that he's going to be given with privatisation. So what are the next steps in making sure your son continues to receive high quality care? 
Well, the issue is I actually asked parents and family members to support Daniel Andrews when he said he gave his word that he wasn't going to privatise the accommodation. So it's been a real shock to all of us in the sector who think that, you know, when people make these pledges, that they're not going to support it. So I suppose the issue is a lot of people are absolutely scared, terrified of losing their position and, you know, where it's all going to go now. I don't know. I don't know, other than be vocal and keep my eye on what's going on. But, you know, if the government is stepping away and, and, you know, it's just... When you look at how do you judge a community, you judge it by how they treat the most vulnerable. And if a government's going to have all this money from selling off, you know, all sorts of things and they've made heaps of money and they're still going to sell off houses, you think, you know, how's this all going to work out? I don't know. I'm just absolutely terrified where it's all going to go now. David and Barbara also spoke out about the concerns they have for their daughter who is in a residential home under threat of privatisation. Thanks for joining us on Stick Together, guys. Oh, it's nice to be here because we want to do what we can for this issue. We've got a daughter who's disabled and uh, she's extremely disabled. And uh, what the uh, human services staff have done for her is just amazing. And uh, they've had so much more training and uh, they're all caring people and they get a, they get support, proper support, you know, through the, the government. And that's the sort of thing I'm worried about, that that's not going to happen. And particularly if it goes for a, to an, an organisation that's there for p- making profit. Well, our daughter's age 51. She's been with us at home until she was age 11 and she's been in some kind of supported care ever since. She's been in her present group home for about 22 years since it opened and it's been a very comfortable, very happy kind of place for her in which she's had very personal attention because there are only six or seven of them living there. It's been a homely environment. She's always been at home for weekends and visits and so on. So she's had that kind of family background all along And we've come to regard the staff as a a highly important part of her life, probably more important than we are these days. One one of the concerns we've got is that the stability of her house and the mix of the other residents there and the kind of staff that she's got to know over the years. She is autistic and has Down syndrome and the autistic part of her doesn't like change very much. We think that there might be too much change going on too quickly with any kind of privatisation. Barbara, what would be your message to the Premier? First of all, he's broken his promise. He promised they wouldn't privatise. Secondly, I think he's got an obligation to look after the most vulnerable people. And uh, I think the funding behind the whole NDIS is a big problem as well. And uh, that's a big concern as to whether the federal government are going to Uh, cut back. What about you David? Well I just go back to the point Barbara made in the first place that the thing that seems to me the worst in all of this is the fact that if an organisation that was profit making were to take over these services that would be a fundamentally bad thing because there's a conflict of interest at the highest level between making a profit and providing services for vulnerable people as we've seen in the prisons, in some of the aged care and looking after refugees, making a profit is completely wrong in that setting. So I come back to that. Christian Astorian is a service user and received raucous applause when he spoke to the rally, raising a number of concerns and showing his solidarity across the sector. Christian, uh, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Can you tell us a little bit about why it was so important for you to speak at this rally today? 
well, it, it's very important because I, I, I am a, a service user. I live independently. I do have control over my own life. Thank you the support that I get every day from my support worker. And when the NGIA comes to come to my area, I will be eligible for the NGIA. So I want to make sure that I will continue to receive the quality service that I, I need to continue to have full control over my own life, make decisions, and also by doing this, by being here today, I'm not only supporting myself, but I am supporting everybody. If the services that you currently receive are privatised, what what are you worried will happen? Well, I, I'm worried about how the privatisation of the services will impact on the quality of the services that I'm getting. Because, of course, the idea to privatise is to make a profit. And to make a profit, you need to cut and save money. But that can definitely have an impact on the quality service. And, and I do believe in the choice that people with a disability need to have in their life to choose the kind of service that they want, the type of support that they need, and the, and the right people that should be there to support them. It's not only a matter of making a profit and saving money. Christian, if you could speak to the Premier about this issue, what would you say to the Premier? I will uh, definitely say not to privatise and to make sure that the NGIA is exactly what we have all agreed to be. It's about providing the same opportunity to people with a disability like everyone else in society to have a quality life and make a difference to themselves and to other people in society. Christian, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the, the opportunity. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks to those who spoke to us about these important issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can contact the producers of the show by calling 03-9419-8377 or emailing us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. The podcast of this show and a link to the extended interview with Leon and George is available at 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. Finally... 
No matter who you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.